Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are doing wonderful, and thank you so much for joining us back here again on Crossing the Jordan as we continue our topic of salvation. This is series 18, episode 24, within the topic of salvation. And so, just as we always do at the start of these episodes, well, not always, but lately we've done this, is uh, just do an overview of where we've been in this series. So this topic of salvation, we've talked about the gospel. What is God doing on a cross? We talked about how Jesus came to restore right order and right relationship, uh, a personal invitation come to taste and see. Um, and then we talked about grace. We talked about faith. We talked about being saved and judged by love. We talked about our consciences, whether they, they can accuse or excuse us. We talked about heaven. We talked about hell, purgatory, we talked about that classic question, are you saved, and the biblical and Catholic response to that. We've talked about free will, predestination, and the sovereignty of God. We talked about sin. We've talked about penance and mortifications. We talked about indulgences. We talked about suffering. And the last one that we talked about was the devil. And so this episode on the Holy Spirit, I'm very excited about. So I actually was going to just flat out do just a easy episode today on um, if charisms show that we are saved because there there is a uh, belief within non-catholic christianity particularly within the pentecostal movement that like particularly like praying in tongues means that like you have received the spirit indeed and like that is uh you have been saved and so this outward manifestation of tongues means that you're saved what we're going to come to find out at the end of this is is that that's a no and that's uh, the bible is very clear about that um but this just had me thinking about all about the Holy Spirit and how we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not an option. <laughs> and so uh, I'm gonna, we're going to walk through today on the very gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. We're going to talk about where uh, the Holy Spirit was throughout salvation history or is in salvation history. We're going to be talking about um, how he is referred to as God himself by Jesus and the apostles. We're going to talk about going to be talking about how uh, he has filled us as children. He makes us children. He reveals and bears witness to Jesus and glorifies Jesus and reveals the truths of, that Jesus taught us. He teaches us how to pray. He convicts. He unites. He purifies. And then also we're going to go through the, the Holy Spirit virtues. Uh, so the virtues, the theological virtues, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the charisms, and then that'll nicely lead into, after we talk about charisms, that one topic that I was planning on talking about was, do you do the charisms mean that you're saved? Um, or do you need to have these outward miracles and the, things of that nature to be saved? Um, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So the first one is just, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is almighty, eternal God. He was never created. He is fully God and fully divine. And he has all the attributes of God, all goodness, all powerful, uh, present everywhere. And so he is in this revealed truth that God is love. Well, the eternal love was that the Father and the Son are pouring themselves out in love and the love that they share is the Holy Spirit. So it's, So the Holy Spirit is the love shared between the Father and the Son. And throughout salvation history, we see the Holy Spirit from the very beginning in, in biblical revelation. At the very beginning, the God spoke the word and it came to be and the Spirit hovered 
above the waters. And so here we see the Trinitarian formula that the Father, he speaks the word, the word being Jesus, speaks the word, and then through Jesus, all things come into being, and the Holy Spirit is the one who creates. And so the Holy Spirit hovers above the water, which is really beautiful, because when Jesus says that you'll be born of the water and the Spirit, he's, he's again, in the Gospel of John, is this beautiful, uh, deep, theological and mystical writing that he's saying that what happened at the very beginning, I'm starting a new creation in you. So in baptism, we're created new. And because not only is the spirit hovering above creation, but he's filling creation. And as we'll hear later, uh, that we receive the first fruits of the spirit. And so the Holy Spirit's there at creation. He speaks through the law and the prophets. So he is the one that inspires. And so all the human authors were, uh, they would write under inspiration, although they would use their their historical context, their their human knowledge, their human gift, giftings, but the Holy Spirit would inspire them until not just would it be human and the Holy Spirit working together, but at one time it would be the divine and uh, humanity coming together in the person of Jesus, the word becoming flesh. And so, through the law and the prophets, he's there in the Old Testament. And then in the new covenant, not only is he inspiring, but he's coming to fill humanity and to fill creation. And we see this at the Annunciation. When Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and, uh, and this was born of the Holy Spirit. And so at the Annunciation, or the, uh, the conception of Jesus, there is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary. And that overshadow is a word that was used in the Jewish scriptures about how somebody was wed to, to a person. So this, so the Holy Spirit is the spouse of the Virgin Mary. And this is what, this is a beautiful symbol for all of us as the new, as the church, the new Israel, because God throughout the Old Testament reveals to him that he's always trying to wed. He's trying to be the husband. He wants to be the bridegroom to his bride, Israel. And finally, he is doing that in the Virgin Mary and in the church. So the Virgin Mary is always this beautiful, perfect image of the church in the fullness. And so he's the spouse of the Virgin Mary, and he's going to be the spouse of the bride um, of, of Israel. So, and then he's there in the Trinitarian formula at Jesus's baptism. There's the father speaking, there's the, there's Jesus, and there's the Holy Spirit. He's there at the transfiguration, the father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. He, and then uh, Jesus, he tells us that to stay in the city and you will be clothed with power from on high. And so we see that in Luke 24. And this clothing with power from on high. And uh, the Gospel of Luke does this in a beautiful way about how at the very beginning in Genesis, there were two things that happened after the fall. It was, well, one, the fall happened because uh, symbolically they ate something that they weren't supposed to, but then they were there after that they became naked. And so Jesus in the new covenant in Luke, he shows in, in Luke 24 that it was, their eyes were opened in the breaking of the bread. So the Eucharist undoes what, what caused the fall in the first place, but also the Holy Spirit clothes us with power. So that power that we lost, that, that dignity, that righteousness, that peace, that, uh, right standing with God and that holiness that we lost, that sanctifying grace that we lost at the fall and we became naked and ashamed. Now with the Holy Spirit, we can truly be who God made us to be and that is naked and unashamed to love God and to love people with our whole hearts fully. And this this power and that Jesus tells us to receive in Luke 24, the apostles and the, I think it was 120, in the upper room, in that same one where the Last Supper was, was uh, 
this beautiful presence of Jesus in the last in the Eucharist given to us in the in that upper room on Holy Thursday. It's the same room that he pours out the Spirit in Acts one and two, and that is Pentecost. And then he can the Holy Spirit continues to fill his apostles and disciples evermore. Not it wasn't just a one time reception, but we see in Luke or in Acts chapter four, where later on, I think it's Peter in prison, and they pray that uh, they're praying for them in boldness, that they would speak the word in all boldness, and the Holy Spirit again falls on them. And then we see how the Holy Spirit is given to each person through baptism and confirmation. We see this all throughout Acts. Uh, you know, if if you want to be saved, what should we do to be saved? To be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And so, Peter and Paul throughout the entire New Testament talk about how baptism not only just saves you, but fills you with the Holy Spirit. And we see also in the book of Acts, the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands was where, well, one of, there were two different things. Laying on of hands was also to communicate uh, apostolic authority, just as the Jews, they lay on hands to from the from Moses to give them teaching authority. So too, Jesus, the new Moses, and his apostles, they lay on hands because their their understanding of what Jesus came to do was to start a fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. So they lay on hands for the apostolic movement that leads to and leads to and holds all truth infallibly uh, based on Jesus's promise. But also, the laying on of hands was the confirm what we now call confirmation because what would happen is even after a baptism or somebody receiving the holy spirit even even then what would they do they would have to bring the bishops the apostles they would lay them hands and they would be filled with the holy spirit and so we see the holy spirit acting powerfully throughout scripture and throughout all of church history and not only does he do that for the apostles to lay hands and to have the apostolic succession of truth and orthodox teaching that is infallible based on Jesus, but also the laying on of hands to con- confer- for confirmation that everybody would have this new, fresh Pentecost in their lives to be filled with the Spirit. But also, Jesus breathes on the apostles so that they have the power to forgive sins in uh, John 21. And we see in this life of the church, it is the life of the Spirit. It is only through the life of the Spirit that the church has life because everything that Jesus made possible, the Holy Spirit makes actual. What Jesus' coming began, the Holy Spirit continues. So when we think of the life of the church, how it teaches on faith and morals infallibly, how we even got scripture in the first place, how we got the canon of the Bible, how we got the the, the very life of the church and the sacraments and, the, and in the liturgy is only through by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus, we, it's the, the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus in the church made possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's even so powerful, even when we talk about scripture, how the church, I think it's Pope Benedict, teaches us that when we read scripture, the Holy Spirit breathes on us. <laughs> and so this beautiful word of God that God has given to us through his church, through, through the tradition of the church, is given to us and it breathes the Holy Spirit on us when we read it. We encounter the Father in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the very life of the entire church is Trinitarian. The Father speaks through his Son Jesus in the Holy Spirit. And we, when we come to the liturgy in particular and in Scripture, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus we come to the Father. And it's because the Holy Spirit makes actual what Jesus made possible. And so the Holy Spirit is 
active, animated, and he brings to life all of humanity throughout salvation history and in the fullness of time we receive and are filled with the Holy Spirit so that our broken humanity will not be enslaved to that brokenness anymore, not be oppressed by the lies or the temptations of the devil, but we would actually be filled with truth and light and joy that the Holy Spirit wants to give us. And so he's Almighty God. And we see, as we said before, Jesus referring to the Holy Spirit as a person. The apostles refer to him as a divine person. And uh, in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, Ananias actually lies to the apostles and the Holy Spirit. And Peter confronts Ananias and asks him, basically, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And he goes on to explain, he says, you have not lied to men, but to God. And so here, St. Peter is referring to the Holy Spirit as God. You lie to the Holy Spirit, you lie to God. And Ananias, in the next verse, in verse 5, he falls dead. And we're going to see throughout, as we go through this entire episode, talking about all these different aspects of the Holy Spirit, that he is Almighty God. But, uh, but this is just another one example of uh, the Holy Spirit being a divine person. But the Holy Spirit doesn't want to just stop with the apostles. He continues, just as he spoke to the apostles that here talk about the, the apostles, uh, Peter and Paul, the, the Holy Spirit said to us, or seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is active in the apostles' lives and the lives of the disciples. And so he continues this work. And so like, let's, let's take a look at what the Holy Spirit continues to do in us. Well, first, he makes us children of God. In Galatians 4, 6, he says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, this tender love and affection towards the Father, towards God himself. Almighty God has become a father to us a, as we are adopted uh, children into the divine Son of God, Jesus Christ. And this Holy Spirit that we receive gives us freedom. In Romans fourteen seventeen, St. Paul says, For the kingdom of God does not mean food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit makes us righteous, right, and right standing with God and with each other. And from that flows peace, and from peace flows joy. So the Holy Spirit gives us all these things in the kingdom of God. And St. Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the Holy Spirit gives us freedom as children of God. And he also reveals and bears witness to Jesus. He glorifies Jesus, and he continues to speak truth and reveals truth to us. So uh, John 4.24, Jesus says that that uh, worshipers will no longer just worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain when he was talking to the Samaritan woman and who has been uh, separated from uh, the Jerusalem temple, the one true temple that Jesus affirms. But he says, there will come a time, and it is now here, that true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. So we need the Holy Spirit to even worship in truth. In uh, John 6, 6.63, after Jesus' uh, teaching on the Eucharist, very hard to hear and listen to, and he challenges even his apostles to walk away, just as his disciples right around him have fallen away because this teaching is too hard. But what does he say? In John 6.63, Jesus says, It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so here we see that Jesus is saying, you can't bear this on your humanity. <laughs> like you can't, you can't understand this. Your flesh, your broken humanity, apart from God's grace, cannot fathom this. But the spirit, the flesh filled with the spirit is 
gives us life, gives us understanding, gives us, reveals truth, convicts us. And these words that Jesus spoke to us about the Eucharist is spirit and life. And, uh, and uh, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, he's talking about the, the, the Eucharist he, uh, very briefly. He says that, that let us hold fast to the feast. Well, what feast? The Passover, because our Paschal lamb has been sacrificed. So because the Eucharist is a fulfillment of the Passover meal where the lamb would be sacrificed and you had to eat it. But Jesus, the lamb of God, at the, the Passover meal, the Last Supper, and the Seder meal, the Jewish Seder meal, this is my body given for you. And so St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8, he says, Let us not eat the bread of malice and evil, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Because this is when we will worship in spirit and in truth, as in the Eucharist, filled with the Holy Spirit, we are lifted up into heaven and be partakers of the divine nature through this offering of Jesus, that we enter into the Holy of Holies, not made by human hands, but uh, our high priest, our king, leads us up through the Eucharist. And again, in uh, John 14, 26, this is Jesus, how, uh, the, how the Holy Spirit reveals uh, truth to us. And um, says Jesus says, the counselor or the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And then John 15, 26, he sa- Jesus again says, when the counselor, the Holy Spirit comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. And so here the Holy Spirit not only comes and fills us, but he and teaches us all things, but he also bears a witness to Jesus. And so, and then, uh, and again, John sixteen seven, Jesus says that I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that, that I go away. If I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying that it's actually better if he goes to the Father, seated at the right hand of God in his humanity, because then the Holy Spirit will be given to all flesh, it will not just be a, I have to go to uh, this particular place to hear truth or the kingdom proclaimed, but Jesus will be working through his apostles and the church and all the disciples to be filled with the Holy Spirit to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And so uh, Jesus says that it's better that I go because then the counselor will come to you. And then uh, just in that same chapter, in, starting in verse in verse 12, Jesus says, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so a few dynamic things as Jesus says that the Spirit will lead us into all truth that Jesus gives us everything, that the Holy Spirit will give us everything that he has. And so, uh, and the Father gives everything that he has to, to Jesus. And so, um, and not only that, but the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. He will glorify Jesus by declaring what is Jesus's and declaring it to us. So everything that Jesus is by nature, we are by grace through and only by the Holy Spirit the grace of the Spirit. And this is the greatest gift too. Just pause really quick. In the Gospels, Jesus is talking about how even an evil father will give good things to their children. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift. Uh, And he longs to give us the kingdom. 
Okay, continuing on. And then uh, continuing on with the revelation of the Spirit, how he reveals and bears witness to Jesus and reveals truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 15, it says, St. Paul says, God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what person knows a man's thoughts except the Spirit of the man which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So what's the implication there? Is that the Spirit of God is Almighty God because the same uh, same nature as for humans, it's body and spirit. And the Spirit of the man is within the is within the man. And same thing with the Spirit is the Spirit is Almighty God and comprehends the depths of God. So now we have received, continuing on, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might understand the gifts bestowed on us. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who possess the Spirit. The unspiritual man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the Holy Spirit fills us. He gives us the mind of Christ. He is the one who destroys strongholds. And he is the one that reveals to us the depths of God and the mind of God. Um, And he gives us the gifts of God. And that are spiritually spiritually discerned and spiritually uh, understood. And and the last thing here on revealing truth is Second Corinthians uh, chapter three verses eighteen. This is one of my favorite favorite verses right now. It says this: "And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into His likeness, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." And the whole context is Saint Paul talking about how everything in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in the New Testament. And right before that verse that we just read. St. Paul is talking about how to this day when the when the when Moses or the law and the prophets are read to the Jews in the synagogues a veil lies over their minds but when a man turns to the Lord the veil is removed and why because it says right before that as well that only through Christ that veil is taken away so the old covenant is fulfilled revealed and heightened in the new covenant so everything in the Old Covenant is to point to Jesus. And so everything in the Old Covenant is pointing to this eager longing for a Messiah, eager longing for Almighty God, eager longing for the fulfillment of the promises. And yet Jesus is all yes on all of these promises and fulfillments and the expectations of the law and the prophets. And so everything in the Old Covenant is fulfilled in the New. And everything makes sense. <laughs> everything, uh, it, there is freedom. Um, so again, this is just so beautiful that that unveiled face, we behold the glory of the Lord and are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So not only does the Holy Spirit reveal truth and reveal Jesus, but he also changes us from one degree of glory to another, even in this life, to be changed into the likeness of Jesus, eternal Son, eternal God. And so that's revealing and bearing witness to Jesus and how the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus and reveals truths. To us about what Jesus taught. But the Holy Spirit also teaches us how to pray. In Romans 8, 26-27, St. Paul says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
And so this is so beautiful. This is this is probably why mo- most times we should probably start our prayer by saying, Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray. Because we do not know how to pray as we ought. And it's the Spirit that teaches us and, conv- and uh, continues to lead us. The Holy Spirit also convicts us. In John 16, we uh, went around this verse earlier, but John 16 verses 8 through 11 Jesus talks about how the Holy Spirit convicts. And so this is what Jesus says. And when the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, being Satan. And so he convicts, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And to know that we have power and authority over the enemy, even in this life, even in our broken human flesh, we can have the power to live according to the spirit and not by the flesh or the lies of the evil one and to put away the fiery darts of the evil one. And the Holy Spirit, he also unites. He unites us. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13, this is the beautiful section of St. Paul on the body of Christ and how we are all made in this one body we truly are united to christ in this powerful uh this powerful way and we all have parts um but he says this in first corinthians 12 starting in verse 12 for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with christ for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body jews or greeks slave or free and all were made to drink of one spirit So the Holy Spirit not only is given to us in baptism here, but baptism in the Holy Spirit, this water and the Spirit, unites us in this new creation, right? So he unites us into the one body of Christ. We receive the Spirit and the power of Christ. And so this body, united to Jesus' humanity, who is the head and who is seated at the right hand of God, we are united to him. And so therefore we're united to all of each other. And how is this? By the grace of the Holy Spirit, this one Spirit that we were made to all drink of. So the Holy Spirit unites. The Holy Spirit also convicts. The Holy Spirit also convicts. In 2 Timothy 1.7, St. Paul says to Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. I love it. Not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. And so uh, I've heard this before, that fear is the, the enemy of faith. Fear is the enemy of faith. And First John says that perfect love casts out fear. So we do not have a spirit of fear or timidity. The Holy Spirit, that is not of the Spirit, but he gives us power, love, and self-control. And very similarly, a powerful uh, section right here in Romans. Romans 8, verses 9 through 16. We'll go right through it. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God really dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship when we cry, Abba, Father. 
It is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Whew. Okay, so, so much here. We'll go down really quick. So we see here the, the contrast between the flesh and the spirit, and we are not to live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Almighty God, working with the divine Son and the divine Father, all the Trinity, but the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, also dwells in our bodies and will give life to our mortal flesh. And how do we know if we're living by the Spirit? Is if by the Holy Spirit we're putting death, or that word is mortify. And this is when we, we had a whole episode on penance and mortifications, go back on that. But uh, this is when the, those things of the flesh, when we think of anger, hatred, division, um, lust, promiscuity, whatever it might be, lying, stealing, all those things are of the flesh. And so by even the desires of them, we put the death, the deeds of the flesh, by who? The Holy Spirit. And we are led by the Holy Spirit because we are sons of God. And we did not receive a, slavery, uh, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So St. Paul, talking about the Holy Spirit, he encourages us, he compels us, he presses us on to have great confidence and faith um, by this Holy Spirit because he makes us children of God. And so, and he bears witness that we are children of God. And St. Paul, very similarly in Galatians, talks about the flesh versus versus uh, the spirit. And we're going to get there in a second, but uh, so powerful. And this is a great way to end, kind of uh, end or transition. So we just ended our part talking about how uh, the Holy Spirit is Almighty God. He makes us children of God. He reveals and bears witness to Jesus, glorifies Jesus, and reveals truth. He teaches us how to pray. He convicts us. He unites us. He purifies us. And now we're going to get into a little bit of the virtues. So the, the virtues, the fruits, gifts, and charisms we're going to get into. But first, the, the virtues. So first, the cardinal virtues are justice, temperance, fortitude, and prudence. That's a whole other episode, but those are the four cardinal virtues, meaning that all other virtues flow from these four. And so um, these are four cardinal virtues, and I would say that you need the Holy Spirit to actually live according to them, um, but they're natural virtues. Theological virtues mean that they come from God and therefore given to us by the Holy Spirit is faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. The fruits of the Spirit. Um, this is, uh, uh, you know, we just mentioned how talking about the flesh versus the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, St. Paul goes on to explain this uh, Spirit versus versus uh, um, the flesh. And starting in verse 16 of chapter 5, he says, Walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And then he goes on to list how all of these things that are of the flesh are immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, which is also heresy, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. And so, uh, yeah, he goes on, those are all things of the flesh, but you are filled with the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those are the spirit, the, those are the fruits of the spirit listed there, but the, also in the tradition there's a couple more of generosity, modesty, long-suffering, and chastity. So we have nine of the fruits of the spirit listed in Galatians 5, 22 through 20, 23. Then we have four more, so a total of 13 fruits of the spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are a good marking place. This is a good examination of conscience if, if we can actually truly say that we are walking in accord with the Spirit. Because the fruits of the Spirit are not things that you work for. A fruit, like if you think of a tree, a fruit isn't something that's fought for for that tree. It just naturally bears it. 
And so St. Paul is saying that all Christians, if you're walking in accord with the Spirit, these are the things, these are the fruits, the fruits at the end you don't have to fight for. These are the things that just overflow from who you are in your nature, which is a child of God walking in the Spirit. And the Spirit naturally gives the supernatural love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, generosity, modesty, long-suffering, and chastity. And so these 13 fruits are an overflow of the Spirit. And so we need to say every single day, come Holy Spirit, so that our lives would be marked by this fruit and it, the overflow would touch other people. And then also the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So there's seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, piety, fortitude, and fear of God. And so wisdom and knowledge, understanding, to actually understand the the God's revelation and counsel is to actually counsel others. Piety is to actually have like a religious reverence towards God. And then fortitude is like a perseverance, a continuation and fear of God. It's not supposed to be, uh, you're afraid of God. No, God is first off revealed to him as a father. So using our father as an example, like we're not afraid, we're not supposed to be afraid of our fathers, but we have like a holy reverence to him. And so like the word that the words that are used there in Hebrew and in Greek or the fear of God is like, you're holding something sacred and you do not want to drop it because it is sacred, right? So, uh, the fear of God is a beautiful, holy thing is because we love him so much. We don't want to like, uh, you know, offend him, which really we, we know that if we ever offend God, it's, it's hurting us. It's not hurting anybody. It's not hurting God. It's hurting us. And so these gifts, these are actually listed in Isaiah, the old Testament, Isaiah, the prophet chapter 11, verses one through two. And why is that? Why is this referred to though? Because he, he talks about how this will be the spirit of the Lord that's upon the Messiah. So Jesus has the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, piety, fortitude, and fear of God. And us as little Christians, so Christians mean little Christ, little anointed ones. And so we are in the Messiah. Everything he is by nature, we are by grace. And so we need to be living in accord with these gifts as well. And then charisms, lastly, charisms. And this is listed out in 1 Corinthians 12 um, and how... Uh, this is another beautiful thing about the body of Christ. St. Paul is adamant that all these different gifts are from the same spirit and it's the same service, but the same Lord. And so what does he mean? That everybody could have different variety of gifts, but they're not in competition of each other. It's the same spirit that is uniting us in this so that we would work up and to build up the body of Christ. Um, and uh, he lists out the gifts to be wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues and interpretation of tongues but also there's many more and after going on to explaining the spiritual gifts then he goes into moving into how we are all bodies or we're all, all members of one body so many members of one body so and we all work together for the building up of the body so and he goes on to say how we cannot say to one body part cannot say to the other i have no need of you because one body is one body you need each other and so if one member, uh, he says in chapter 12, verse 26, that if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, then healers, helpers, administrators, speakers, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? And so in, in chapter 14, he talks about how that all of these are to build up the body of Christ. He says in verse uh, 3 in chapter 14, 
He who prophesies speaks to men for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So these are the very purposes of the gifts is to upbuild, encourage, and console. And so, and, he edi- and to edify the church. And these are such beautiful gifts. And actually, we really believe that even if you don't have the charism, charism meaning that like you have this anointing upon your life that you actually see this happen, like these miracles happen much more frequently than most people and you see crazy things happen. But even if you don't have a charism, all Christians can hear the voice of God and all Christians can see healing because Jesus said that he who believes in my, who believes in me, in my name, they'll lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And so we have, we can see healing even if we don't have that charism because we have that authority in Jesus. But there also are these charisms and not only are these charisms, but St. Paul says to earnestly desire these spiritual gifts, earnestly desire to long after these spiritual gifts, he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, and also in uh, chapter 14, verse 1, he says, make love your aim and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So these spiritual gifts are powerful because not only do they upbuild, console, and encourage the body of Christ, but also gives witness to Jesus and, it, and it's a witness to non-believers. Because very similarly as St. Paul, how he said that he, he didn't have the greatest success evangelizing when he was just having arguments, even though he continued to do that. And we need to continue to do that. This podcast is part to be an apologetics type of podcast. So there is a place because people are convicted by the truth and they see the goodness and the beauty of it. But there's also a place of just power and witness because St. Paul says in this same letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says uh, he said that my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so he worked miracles. He worked signs and wonders because that's exactly what uh, convicted people like Jesus is risen, Jesus is alive. And we see that still today. Um, and prophecy especially is a beautiful gift because not only does it edify the church and speaking words and life and from the heart of God into the church, but also can have powerful words for non-believers and they can come to believe like, wow, not only because we as Christians know Jesus and Jesus knows them. So Jesus wants to speak life into their life and to bring them into the fullness of life and only the joy that he can give them. And so prophecy is powerful. Tongues can also be super powerful. And this is a very real gift. Uh, I remember, and we're going to get into just, it'll be a good transition as we lead into about how do these charisms, are they needed to be saved or does, are they a sign that that we are saved? And the answer is going to be no. But when uh, I remember um, I went to this, to this church and uh, I was with, with a friend and they were like, everybody closed their eyes at the end of this. And they were like, if they're feeling moved by God, like raise their hand. And I raised my hand and my friend Josh is sitting next to me, like cracking up because he's seen this happen before. And next thing they're like, young man, come on up. And I'm like, no, I'm like, no, not me. <laughs> and I go up and they called me back into this like room, like halfway during this church service. And the very first thing that they had me try to do is to speak in tongues. I had no idea how to do it, no idea what I was doing, and I couldn't do it because it's a gift of the spirit and I can't just work it up like that. Right. So couldn't do it. And then when I, that that was like in 2011, 2012. And then when I became Catholic, um, going into these spiritual gifts in 2017, I just started asking the, the Lord for this gift of tongues. And I would try to babble with my mouth, could not do anything. It literally was just human, like 
babbling. And then one day, as my buddy Father Patrick Gagne talks about how speaking in tongues to learn how to do it is kind of like a kite. Like you just keep pulling, you keep pulling. Next thing you know, the, the Holy Spirit or the wind takes the kite and lifts it. And so uh, one day, I, all of a sudden I could just do it. I could just and could just do it. And I had chills and like goosebumps and like this power like run through my body. And uh, it was amazing. And then I started doubting. I'm like, am I just babbling again? And literally, I there was a day that I doubted and I could not do it. Could not do it. It was just like I was before, just like in this human capacity, just just babbling. And I could not speak in tongues. And then I said, okay, Jesus, if this is a real gift, if this is a true gift, I believe and I want it. If you want it for me, I want it. And immediately I could do it again. <laughs> so this is a very, very real gift. But also speaking in tongues, as we saw in the book of Acts, it's not just that what I just did of speaking in this like angelic tongues or this like groaning of the spirit that we cannot understand, but it just up and builds us. Um, but also there's the gift of tongues where other people can hear our languages and not this. We saw this in the book of Acts where everybody could hear in their native language, the apostles speaking, even though they didn't know their language. Um, and that's, we see that all throughout church history and even uh, in more um, like current day church history. I think there was a missionary, uh, I don't know when this was, but I think in the last like couple decades, go to Africa, This there's this African language that nobody knows and the Lord gave him the gift of tongues and he could speak to them in their native language and he could understand them. That was the interpretation of tongues. And so that was a powerful gift of tongues to be able to speak and we do, I, I ask for that gift too. Um, and there's actually uh, a story about how JP two speaking in Polish and mother Teresa forget which language, but they're speaking in different languages and they're talking to each other, understanding each other. (laughs) So the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues is powerful, but also the interpretation of tongues can also just be understanding and interpreting actually what somebody might be saying in the spirit. So actually asking the spirit for interpretation of what they're saying in tongues. Um, and Encounter Ministries is seeing that work out in powerful ways as well. And so this gift of tongues is powerful. But St. Paul actually urges us on that he says that in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, He who prophesies speaks to men for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So now I want all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So the tongues is it this unique gifting that really the, the primary part of it is to, to, to build up oneself or to edify oneself. But if someone can interpret the tongues, then it edifies the church. And But prophecy really does edify and builds up the church. And St. Paul, he actually talks about how uh, later on in that, he says that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so St. Paul, he loves the gift of tongues, but it's not... <clears throat> It doesn't build up the the church unless someone can interpret. And so these are real gifts. And actually, uh, I remember I was in a coffee shop one time. And this guy had a boot, a boot on and um, 
started talking to him and asked if I could pray for him. And he was, I don't know, I forget if he like grew up Catholic, but he was a part of a, he started going back to church and is a Pentecostal church. And as we were praying, I knew, I mean, if he's Pentecostal, he's going to be used to tongues. So I started praying in, praying in tongues and he's like, I had no idea Catholics spoke in tongues. <laughs> yeah, we see this uh, throughout the, the life of the church and uh, saints and even like, like, popes would speak in tongues. You hear about Pope John Paul II, how he had grown and how we heard in Romans, how the spirit groans within us with words ununderstood un, un, uh, or not in human words. And so we, there, there would be times where uh, JP too, he would just be laying prostrate in front of the Eucharist for hours and hours. And he'd be this groaning, this moaning uh, of the spirit within him. Um, and so this gift of tongues is uh, a beautiful uh, gift, but prophesying and or interpreting the tongues can actually edify and build up the church. But this is a good transition to our final point. And actually the whole point I was going to even make this episode was, do the charisms show that we are saved or do we need uh, to have these external signs follow us in order to be saved? And the answer is no. And it's actually very clear in St. Paul, even right here, as he's talking about the spiritual gifts. At the end of chapter 12, and we already read it, but he talks about how that God has appointed the church, in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, uh, miracles, healers, helpers, administrators, speakers in various kinds of tongues. Then he goes on in verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? The question here he's asking is in a, is a rhetorical one because the answer is no. Not everybody in the church is an apostle. Not everybody is a prophet. Not everybody is a teacher. Not everybody is a worker of miracles. Not everybody has the gift of healing. Not everybody speaks in tongues. Not everybody can interpret. So we all in this body of Christ are united so that the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit can work together even if we don't all possess every single one of them. Even if we can see manifestations with these types of charisms in our lives, it doesn't mean that we have the charism that St. Paul is talking about here. And then he goes on. This is this is the biggest the biggest point that St. Paul is making is at the very end of this chapter 12, he says that to earnestly desire the higher gifts. And so he tells us to earnestly desire the higher gifts, um, especially prophecy and these miracles, and to eagerly long for them. But then he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then all of 13, chapter 13 is about love. And he says that all of these gifts are nothing if we do not have love. He says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but to have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then in verses 4 through 7, it's the beautiful about love is patient and kind. But going down to verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecy is imperfect. But when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall understand fully, 
even as I have been fully understood. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so St. Paul is very clear that not only is it uh, that we should earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but these things, if they are not accompanied by love, they are nothing. You have tongues, noisy gong, and a clanging cymbal without love. If you have prophetic powers and you can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, such as like you get into apologetics or you start listening to these types of arguments all the time, they are great. But if it's just headspace and it doesn't turn into to love, what is St. Paul? We are nothing. And this is actually another uh, part uh, argument against this whole faith, faith alone. He says that even if you had all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, we are nothing. If we give away all that we have and we deliver our bodies to be burned, meaning that like if we were to be a martyr for Jesus, but if we don't have love, we do, we gain nothing. So St. Paul, the whole context of this is in the context of the spiritual gifts is to say that first, not everybody has every single gift and and he, and what's among that, the speaking of tongues, but not only that, but also there's different levels of this. So tongues is even, even the greatest gift because it edifies the, the the one person that is being edified by the gift of tongues. But also, if it's not accompanied by love, then it's meaningless. It's nothing for our salvation. And so do charism save us? No. Do Does it mean that we're, does it show that we're saved? No. Does it show that we receive the Holy Spirit? No. <laughs> not every single person who receives the Holy Spirit speaks in tongues. And so it's not needed to be saved. And these external signs are not things uh, to show that we were saved. Because as soon as we start seeking signs to prove our salvation, we are in murky waters. <laughs> because then it becomes more about what we've done. And it becomes self-centered, which is the antithesis of Christianity. We live for love, which is not in isolation, but for the sake of other. And so we live for others. And so we, we give up for others. And so when we come into this aspect of we get into the, those murky waters when we think that these signs are a part of showing us that we are saved is not good because it becomes works it becomes self-centered and it's like jesus i've done all these things i've done all these things and jesus himself addresses this in matthew 7 verses 21 through 23 jesus says not everyone who says to me lord lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. So Jesus here is telling us that in these people probably came, that he's talking about here probably are coming to him, Lord, Lord. So they know that Jesus is Lord. They know this. This is intellectual consent. And not only that, they believe in his power. They're going to cast out demons. They're prophesying. They're doing mighty works in his name. They're probably thinking like, shoot, Jesus is abiding in us. He's living in us. He, uh, we're holy. We're going out. And we're seeing all these signs and wonders. But And we did all these things. And he says, I never knew you. Why? Because there, it became self-centered and it became about what they were doing. And even if it was Jesus doing it in them or through them and at the, at the name of Jesus, but no, Christianity is about holiness and love to live for the sake of other that we didn't earn. <laughs> it was God who first loved us and the, the thing that God promises us is unattainable. It's unimaginable. It is impossible. And so 
we cannot get into the, the, that whole that section that right there that I just read in my Bible says concerning self-deception and even walking in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have to be careful. It has to be rooted in love for the sake of other, for the sake of love. And it has to be out of humility because uh, even so like I love seeing Jesus heal. I love hearing God's voice for people. And there are many times where I can easily believe in this lie where like, oh shoot, like dang, praise God, like Jesus just healed somebody through me. And this means that I'm in good standing with him right now. That is not a good position. And as soon as like is Jesus healing and it's Jesus who longs to call this person into a relationship, he longs to call me into a deeper relationship. And so um, we cannot, we have to be very careful. We have to be weary of that and to continue to love Jesus, to love um, to love each other. And how do we do that? By being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the last thing I just wanted to say is we're celebrating Christmas right now. And Mary, who was the spouse of the Holy Spirit at the Annunciation, that was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And that, that overshadowing was like a place of the Holy of Holies. That's where that overshadowing happened, is the Holy of Holies, this Ark of the Covenant. And being overshadowed was imagery of a wedding. And so Mary, this bride, is the Spirit. And what does Mary and the Spirit say to Jesus, to the Father's, to the Father's invitation through the angel Gabriel? Come. At the first coming of Christ, come. I am the handmaid of the Lord. Do with me what you will. And Jesus comes and dwells among us. The Word made flesh, born of the Holy Spirit, the one that the world longed for, this broken world that was sold into the slavery of sin by the deception of the devil that is enslaved and degraded. Our broken humanity longed for this Jesus, this Messiah, this God who would come and heal and lift up humanity, that he would destroy the works of the devil, that he would make impotent, powerless, the reign of sin and death, that he would give us life and joy and light to this world, to this world and that is broken and dark, this first coming, and then in this Holy Spirit, until the second coming, he f- gives us this beautiful light. In Romans 8, 23, 20, starting in verse 22, it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning with labor pains together until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so we, receiving the first fruits of what Jesus' work has done so that we would have the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, even among us in the, this broken world, what he started in Mary through the power of Jesus, he continues in us as we await the second coming. And in Revelation 22, verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Just as Mary, the bride, the spouse of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit and the bride, that is Mary, in the first coming of Christ, said, come. And now we, as Roman said, we await, even with the first fruits, we long for this fullness of redemption of our human bodies, all of creation. And then until the end of time, the spirit and the bride, the church, say, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Finish what you've begun in your healing and fullness of redemption that you long to give us and you give us, even now, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you.